Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. Before I get into today's article, just a friendly reminder that if you're looking to take your BFR training or just general training to the next level, I'm providing online programming. If you are interested in getting a strength and conditioning program written by myself, please contact me via my website or my socials. If you're still unsure and want to see the many applications of BFR, I've got lots of good videos highlighting how you can use it across different scenarios. So check out my YouTube channel, which is Sports Rehab Oz, that's Sports Rehab AUS, or alternatively, just check me out on my Instagram at Chris Cavillio. On to the article review. I hope you've been enjoying this small mini-series of papers that I've combined to highlight a framework for BFR use around surgery and optimizing recovery. Although I'm choosing papers around knee surgery, this is really relevant around most joints and most muscle groups. Today's article review looks at the use of BFR immediately before the operation. A good friend and colleague of mine told me about the heart protective benefits of BFR. And although I'm not a large person, I'm still kind of big and I have a family history of heart disease. So for me, anything I can do in this space is of high importance for me and especially around an operation. Hence today's article is titled Cardio Protection by Remote Ischemic Preconditioning by Walsh and Colleagues. It's a review article by Walsh and colleagues. Hence, today's article is titled Cardio Protection by Remote Ischemic Preconditioning by Walsh and colleagues. At times, this review actually gets a little technical, so I'll try to explain where I can, and I've summarized a lot of it for you so you can get a good idea of this concept. As always, if this really interests you, I suggest you download the article, which I'll mention in the show notes. On to the article now perioperative myocardial injury, or in other words, myocardial injury across the operation, has a significant impact on both short and long-term outcomes after major non-cardiac surgery. Adverse cardiac events complicate around 1 million surgical procedures every year in the USA, and this was taken around 1999 to 2002. Worldwide, it's estimated that between 500 and 900,000 patients suffer perioperative cardiac death non-fatal myocardial infarction, or non-fatal cardiac arrest every year. Perioperative myocardial infarction is associated with mortality rates of up to 40%. Therefore, reducing the incidence of perioperative cardiovascular events would have significant benefits. Researchers focus on determining the optimum method of identifying high-risk patients. Once a high-risk patient has been identified, Therapeutic strategies are needed to reduce the individual's risk of a perioperative cardiac event. For example, coronary revascularization, beta blockade, aspirin and statins have all been assessed in major non-cardiac surgery. However, the cause of perioperative myocardial infunction involves many factors. And therapeutic agents tend to target one or more, but not all potential triggers. An alternative approach to prevention of perioperative myocardial infunction would be to make the myocardium resistant to damage from ischemia regardless of the trigger. Experimental data suggests that remote ischemic preconditioning may present a novel and inexpensive method of reducing ischemic complications. As I mentioned in previous podcasts, ischemic preconditioning 
describes the situation where tissues are exposed to brief, non-lethal periods of ischemia and are therefore relatively resistant to damage from a subsequent prolonged ischemic insult. As I have mentioned in previous podcasts and guests as I've had on, ischemic preconditioning describes the situation where tissues are exposed to brief, non-lethal periods of ischemia and therefore, as a result of this, are relatively resistant to damage from a subsequent prolonged ischemic insult. A lot of these studies were firstly based around animal studies, and the first published description found that the size of the myocardial infarction in canine hearts, subjected to 40 minutes of coronary occlusion, was significantly reduced if the heart was first exposed to four cumulative five-minute periods of ischemia with reprovision between each episode. The effect has also been observed in a range of non-cardiac tissues exposed to ischemia, suggesting that an innate protective mechanism existed in the mammalian tissue that could be exploited to protect against ischemic injury. In open heart surgery, it's been shown that preconditioning has led to relative preservation of myocardial adenosine triphosphate levels at the end of a subsequent 10-minute ischemic insult. In a small study of 20 patients undergoing pulmonary surgery, there was a significant increase in superoxide diutase and pulmonary vein oxygenation in the 10 patients who underwent preconditioning by temporary pulmonary artery occlusion. To help explain this a little bit better for you, superoxide dimutase is an enzyme that helps break down potentially harmful oxygen molecules in cells, and this might prevent damage to tissues. It's been researched to see that it can help conditions where harmful oxygen molecules are believed to play a role in disease. And also with respect to an increase in pulmonary vein oxygenation, the advantage here is that the pulmonary veins are the veins that transfer oxygenated blood from the lungs to the heart which is very important. In another study, preconditioning has also produced a significant reduction in post-operative serum transaminase peaks, a potential indicator of liver damage. In particular, the liver has transaminases to synthesize and break down amino acids and to convert energy into storage molecules. The concentration of these transaminases in the serum are normally low. However, if the liver is damaged, the liver cell membrane becomes more permeable and some of the enzymes leak out into the blood circulation. Another really interesting fact here around ischemic preconditioning is that preconditioning of one vascular bed also appears to protect organs in other vascular beds. So therefore, you can perform preconditioning at a distance. Although in animal studies, skeletal muscle has been investigated as a remote stimulus for cardioprotection. In a rabbit model, 30 minutes of skeletal muscle ischemia was induced by means of a 55 to 65% reduction in femoral artery blood flow combined with electrical stimulation of the gastrocnemia muscle. When the animals were subsequently exposed to 30 minutes of coronary occlusion followed by 4 hours of reperfusion, infarct sizes were considerably smaller in the animals that had received skeletal muscle preconditioning. Other investigators have found that transient limb ischemia in rats protected against reperfusion tachyrrhythmias after 30 minutes of ischemia, while it also reduced infarction size in pigs exposed to 40 minutes of coronary occlusion. These animal models implied that remote ischemic preconditioning of the heart could be achieved clinically by transient limb ischemia. With respect to mechanisms of remote ischemic preconditioning, Less is known about these mechanisms. In general, signaling from one tissue to another may be achieved by humeral or neural pathways. One group of researchers found that reperfusion was an essential requirement for obtaining a preconditioning effect. 
implying that ischemic tissue releases some mediator which triggers preconditioning in distant tissues if it enters the general circulation, that is, a humeral pathway. A really interesting study showed that in one group of isolated rabbit hearts, which were preconditioned, fluid was washed through the coronary vasculature and then was then collected and infused into separate isolated receptor hearts. Receptor hearts which received the effluent from the preconditioned donor hearts demonstrated reduced infarction size when subsequently subjected to prolonged ischemia compared with hearts which receive effluent from control non-preconditioned donor hearts. With respect to remote ischemic preconditioning in humans, although the mechanisms have yet to be clarified, several groups have produced preliminary results of trials of remote ischemic preconditioning as a cardioprotective technique in humans. To help illustrate this, one group of researchers studied children undergoing open heart surgery and randomized them to receive four five-minute cycles of lower limb ischemia as a remote ischemic preconditioned stimulus. The ischemic preconditioning was performed about five to ten minutes before the initiation of cardiopulmonary bypass, and the patients underwent a range of cardio procedures. Of the 37 patients recruited, 17 were assigned to the remote ischemic preconditioning arm. In this here, the patients had significantly less myocardial damage as measured by lower serum troponin concentration. Although remote ischemic preconditioning reduced but did not eliminate myocardial injury, the remote ischemic preconditioning produced a statistically significant reduction in inotrope requirements. And inotropes are medicines that change the forces of your heart's contraction. And there are two kinds of inotropes, positive inotropes and negative inotropes. In this case, positive inotropes strengthen the force of the heartbeat. And in this case here, being able to reduce the inotrope requirements is obviously a positive thing. In a study of major vascular surgery, 82 patients underwent elective open abdominal aortic aneurysm repair, and they were randomized to receive remote ischemic preconditioning or not. With respect to the results, they found that significant troponin elevations occurred in 15 of the 41 control patients, which was 36%, compared with 3 of the 41 ischemic preconditioning patients. And that was only 7%, which was a significant reduction. With respect to what is troponin, a slight increase in troponin concentration will often mean that there's been some damage to the heart. Very high levels of troponin are a sign that a heart attack has occurred. And most patients who have had a heart attack have increased troponin levels within six hours. Therefore, this means that if we're able to decrease these concentrations, that that's actually a positive sign as seen by this study. And furthermore, post-operative myocardial injury or infarction was significantly lower in the preconditioned group, which was 2 out of the 41 patients versus 13 in the non-ischemic preconditioning group. And also, mean critical care stay was reduced from a mean of 2 days with a standard deviation of 2.3 in the control group to one day with a standard deviation of 0.2 in the remote ischemic preconditioning group. This therefore appears to demonstrate a clinical benefit in favour of remote ischemic preconditioning. Although most work has focused on remote ischemic preconditioning as a cardioprotective technique, it could actually protect against other organs from ischemia reperfusion injury, which is important to also note here with anyone that's going in for any kind of major surgery. More from a personal viewpoint, as a regular user of BFR, I know that when I'm going for an operation that I want to be doing everything that I can do to improve the chances of my recovery. And also, you know, more importantly, 
I'm aware of the risks associated with any kind of perioperative myocardial injury that might occur during surgery that may have nothing to do with any kind of cardiac surgery. Because as I'm getting older and my family history of heart disease, I've got to be actually be aware of these factors. So I think that more from my general health, being able to implement this just prior to the surgery is a positive thing. But also I know that I'm actually assisting with the recovery of my body post-operation as well. This article is perhaps a little bit more deeper with respect to the physiology. So if you want to know more, please read the paper at your own leisure and I'll put the article in the show notes. And I hope that that for the different types of agents or the proteins that I mentioned that are a little bit different that I was actually able to explain that well for you. And before I go, if you're enjoying this series and the podcast in general, and you know of someone who may benefit from this, please share with your friends. And also, if you could give it a like on iTunes, I'd really appreciate that. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next episode.